Welcome to Achieve Greater. My name is Chad Midland. Here we discuss the things in our lives that help us to become better than we were the day before. It's not about competition between you and another person. It's about becoming better each and every day through the actions that we take. So join us as we dive in and we share the stories of others who have overcome obstacles and done what others have seen as impossible. Welcome and enjoy the show. I don't normally say things like this, but I am just truly blessed to be here this morning. Um, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I expressed that the Lord had really laid something in my heart that I needed to not just trust that He would strengthen me, but I needed to be in a position to rely on Him to strengthen me. And thankfully, my children heard that, and they made sure that last night I spent the majority of the night with them instead of getting the rest I thought I needed. So um, I decided to stop and put down a couple of my talk points this morning. As uh, a lot of you know, that's usually two or three little notes, and that's the summation of my sermon. Amy's laughing at me. She says, well, wow, that's a lot. So bear with me. I'm going to try and do this efficiently, but thoroughly. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is perfect theology because Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the perfect embodiment of the very nature of God here on earth. To accept any revelation of God that is contrary to what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is sheer foolishness to allow a false representation of God to trump or have authority over the actual nature of God. The clearest manifestation that we have today of our Father is the person of Jesus Christ. When I think about this, I struggle because I know I don't look anything like my dad. Thank goodness. Um, but in many ways, I wish I was more like my dad. In fact, at this point, all three of them, they all had good characteristics. You know, through adoption, I, I had the opportunity of having more than one earthly dad. But I only have one father. And that's where I really, truly aspire. Because we are supposed to be the representation of Jesus to the world. Is that not right? I look at my brothers and sisters here, and I can think of time and time again where I saw a beautiful representation of Jesus in my life. And that was an encouragement that I, well, not was, is an encouragement that I continue to look back on. Say, how, how, how would Jesus respond? And then importantly, how am I going to respond so that I can represent Him accurately in the world? I like the word represent. It literally is to represent Jesus. He was here physically in physical form before he came to live as spirit inside a physical form to represent the nature of God into the world. And now Jesus now lives in us. How do we physically represent Christ to the world? So I think about how 
How did Jesus interact with the world? How did he respond to the world? How did he treat sinners? How did he deal with sin? How did he deal with sickness? How did he deal with the storms? I mean, can you, can you imagine there's a natural disaster coming? It's, it's coming across the ocean. The winds are, are raging. The, the air is just spinning hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour. It's literally sucking the ocean up into the air and whipping it at such fierce nature that it would destroy everything that man has created. And can you imagine as Jesus just stands there on the shore and he says, no, not here. Destroy that city so they can learn to pray better. That's not what I saw. In Scripture, I saw Jesus look at the storm that the world creates and said, Peace, be still. Why do we want to look at the storms in our world and say, This is here for our benefit? I will not take away that God will use anything however He sees fit. But He doesn't necessarily wish it upon us. I don't hope that my children slams his finger in the door so that he can understand he shouldn't have his fingers in the door. And I certainly don't push it shut. I'm the first one to stop the door, pull his hand out and explain why he shouldn't have them. That's a father. See, too many of our beliefs about God are based on our disappointments. Think about that for a second. What do we believe about God that is based upon our circumstance instead of the revelation that He's given us through His Son, through His Word? How many times do we look at the things going on in our life and we say, well, that, that must not be what God really wants because what I see is, versus, well, I see that, but this is what God wants and this is where I'm going to go. None of our questions or our circumstances should ever have an authority over the revelation of God through Scripture and through His nature. What God has shown us about His nature through the person of Jesus Christ, we are responsible for. We are responsible to take what God has shown us through Jesus, through His Word. We are responsible to take that into the world. Individually, personally. I'm a bear it all for my wife at the moment. I had a conversation with her last night. We're cuddled up and we don't get a lot of chance to just cuddle anymore with the kids. Uh, and I said, you know what? We've been asking God for a greater, bigger vision. What is the greater plan? What is our future? And we like to, we like to say, well, Jesus said that he's going to be a light or a lamp unto our feet, right? So just, just show me today. Show me only what's here. Tell me my next step and I'm going to trust you in that. But we forget he'll also be a light unto our path. He will give us vision. He will give us a sense of our future and our direction. Because if you've ever just watched your feet, you tend to run into trees. You hit walls. You bang your head on things. You don't believe me? Watch my children for two hours. They love to watch their feet. And it's a beautiful thing to watch as they learn to grow. Now Hadassah tends, she's looking up a little bit more and she's stumbling less. She's not hitting as many obstacles. 
She still falls, but that's out of excitement. When was the last time you got so excited for what God has ahead of you that you fell flat on your face running towards it? That should, that should well up inside you. That should really just make you want to run with everything that you have towards what God has before you. But as we were talking, I said, you know, it's interesting when I'm thinking about the future, we're asking God to give us a greater vision so that we can know where to go. And it poses this question in my heart. What are we doing with the present that he's given us? If we have a vision and we have a passion in our heart, to, for example, to, to go in and to minister and to witness to people all over the U.S., to go back to homeless camps, to speak in churches, to talk at events, whatever it may be, the real question is, are you taking the time that he's given you and are you witnessing to your neighbor? Your pew, out of your home, out of your car, walking up to a stranger and sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. Are you talking about the relationship that you have with him? I remember in high school when I was dating Jennifer Lang. Oh, I tell you, everybody knew about Jennifer Lang. Why? Because I loved her. <laughs> Had no idea what love was. But I thought I was in love with her. In fact, I talked with everybody that I talked to. It was about Jennifer, about what I did with Jennifer, what I, where I went with Jennifer. It was ridiculous. I didn't even know what love was, and it was the very central focus of my thoughts. Do you love Jesus this way? Is he the center of your conversations? Is he the focus of your morning? Do you get up excited to be able to spend time with the Father? I mean, do you? Do you get up giddy in the morning like a kid going to church camp going, I get to spend time with Dad. Why is this not happening? Why are we not waking up excited? Why do we all look half asleep this morning? Where is the excitement over this God that we claim to love? Where is the passion inside of us? This statement came to mind when I was praying last week. And it's changed a lot inside me. And it's rekindled a few things inside me as well. It says, when God made it possible for the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead to live in me, it made a powerless life inexcusable and unacceptable. Inexcusable and unacceptable to live a powerless life. Do you know what a powerless life is? It's when your life looks just like your unsaved, unbelieving neighbors. It's when the world comes at you and you deal with the same result that the unbeliever has, that the atheist has, that we struggle with the same thing in the same way that the world does. Our normal looks like the normal that the world experiences. That is a powerless life. And today, love me or hate me, I'm telling you that it's unacceptable and inexcusable in our family.
I do not know how to fully walk that out yet. But as I grow, you will grow or you will get really irritated with me. Because I want my family with me as God prospers my spirit. The same spirit that God has placed within you is not for you. He is for God. He is in you and he wants out of you. He came in us so that He can flow from us. Think about the love of Jesus Christ in our heart, not as a, a lake of love that we can soak in, but as a river of love that goes into the world. You see, a river comes from the source. A lake receives from the source. Allow Jesus to be the river in us that flows into the world. It astounds me that when we think about the transformation that God made us, he, he created us to be a new being. He created in us a new spirit. He will give us a new body. We will have to renew our mind. But our very nature in time will become the very nature of God. Think about that for a second. How many times do we claim, oh, well, it's my sin nature? Why do you own it? Jesus died so that you don't have to own that anymore. In fact, he killed it. Why did you speak life back into it? Why are we living according to a sin nature when he's given us his very nature embodied in Jesus Christ, empowered by Holy Spirit to live within us today? Why is that not the ruling authority in our heart? Why are we not relying upon the truth of God's revelation that we are a new creation. Unless we agree with the old spirit because it justifies not having to make the effort daily. You know, there's going to have to become a point in our life when we're actually going to have to believe our conversion. Think about that. If he made me something new, that means I am no longer what I used to be. And if I am no longer what I used to be, then everything that used to rule that weak, dead, fleshly spirit is no longer connected to me. It is familiar to me. Because he didn't give me a new mind yet. That's my job the renewal of my mind through, through the Word of God. We do the same thing that we've been given freedom over. Why is it we keep asking for something that we already have? Why is it we keep begging for what God has already provided instead of walking in the richness of our inheritance in Christ? When we think about what is actually available to us, is Jesus Christ came to live as fully man. He gave up everything of the kingdom to live as fully man so that he could die, be raised to life, and receive the inheritance as man to show us what is available as man. Otherwise, there would be no need 
He could be like, hey, you know what? They believe in me. They confessed in me. Let's not do this whole death thing. Looks like it sucks. But there was a reason. There was purpose. He had to inherit that. He had to be that model of how to live and to show us what's available. He said, look, everything that happened back in the garden when the kingdom was taken, when everybody went the wrong direction, I got the keys back. I got the keys back. And you're my family. You have an inheritance. When we think about what we don't have, we don't think about what we do have. When we think about our circumstance that the world presents, we're not thinking about what God is revealing. Can I see the solution if I only focus on the problem? No, we can't. It's no wonder that we get tired of praying when we continue to pray for what we already have. And then we wonder why we don't see it coming, not realizing that it's already here. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. It is present. What does that mean? Well, I believe that the Lord is releasing wisdom and revelation upon this church so that we can rise up to who He has called us to be. I believe that wholeheartedly with everything in my body that God is calling us to raise ourselves up to what He has created us for instead of what is comfortable for us right now. I can't afford to have a single thought in my head about me that God doesn't have about me. I can't afford to think one thing about my circumstances that God doesn't say about my circumstance. I can't afford to believe anything about my children that God does not believe about my children. I cannot afford to believe one single thought about any of you that God does not think about you. I cannot, I will not ponder, think on, meditate, chew the cud, or allow any thought take up residence in my mind and put down roots that Holy Spirit cannot walk up and say, Amen, I stand in agreement. What thoughts rule in your mind? And I say rule because the thoughts that are most present in your mind will dictate your behavior and your interaction in the world. Do the thoughts in your mind fully align with what God has to say about your life? We need to receive a kingdom mindset because our mind is very powerful. But here's the beauty, it's only useful when it becomes under the control of the spirit man within us. We can think anything we want to think, but if our spirit isn't controlling what we're thinking, it's not helpful, it's not beneficial, and it's not positive in the world or in ourselves. If you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better father, look to God and say, how would he love this person? If you want to be a better friend, look at the Holy Spirit. Look at Jesus. How do they interact? If you want to make good decisions in business, Say, God, what do you see here? What do you want accomplished? And how would you go about doing it? I don't care what the world says. I don't care about what they tell me I should do. If you tell me, go left, dig a hole, sit and wait, I'm going left.
Are we focused on God's thoughts? We need to receive a kingdom mindset that anything could happen at any time without any restriction and without ever having to fit the mold of what the world says is okay today. Imagine that for a moment. If we actually thought that anything could happen in any situation, I got a tumor, could fall right off, dissolve. My bank account's empty, it could have three grand in there tomorrow. We recently actually experienced that. It was really kind of funny. We were at a point where there just was no more money. I had a couple more weeks to go. We had $126 and something that needed to be paid. And I said, that's okay. I'm not going to concern myself with that. I'm going to do what God says because God tells me to do it. And I'm not going to worry about it. And every day I said, Lord, I'm just trusting you. You've got this covered. My wife calls me up and she's like, Chad, I don't know. Well, I do know how it happened, but I don't know where it came from. The money's in the account. It's there. And I said, okay, cool. I was appreciative for what God did. And however he did that, I don't know. I haven't bothered to go look. doesn't matter to me. What matters is I trusted the Lord and the Lord made something happen that we understood, that, that we, we understood how it happened. We just didn't know the way in which it happened. And that's okay. It's good to be in that position of not knowing sometimes. Our job, if we're to have a kingdom mindset, then our focus should be on the kingdom. It should not be about getting people in these chairs. It should be getting us out of these chairs and bringing the kingdom to the street. We have no right to bring more people and focus on getting more people in our chairs if we're not going to show them what to do once they get here. That's irresponsible and it's unacceptable. If you're not willing to disciple, then what are you inviting someone to? If you're willing to step out and say, the purpose is the kingdom, it's to bring the kingdom of God and His riches and His glory so that you can present it to the world so that they may see and know our Father, then our mindset is changing. One of the areas that's been on my mind is Mark 9. It talks about a man who came to Jesus who had a demon-possessed son. He had already gone to the disciples, but the demon stayed. And he came to Jesus and he said, Master, if you are able to care of my boy. And Jesus said, if you would only believe. His response? Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. It's not a matter of faith. He had faith, but he had doubt as well. And the beauty of this, this father was the fact that he brought his faith and his doubt and said, here, this is what I got. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not withhold the miracle because of the unbelief. God did not withhold the miracle 
as a punishment for not believing enough. He provided the miraculous in his life to show him the way to have access to the faith that Jesus talked about. Because Jesus said, if you have the faith of just, just a mustard seed, speak to the mountain, it'll move. He wasn't talking about a big faith, little faith. He was saying, it's not the size that matters. It's the fact that there is a faith, and I'll show you how to exercise it. I'm going to show you the miraculous so that you can walk out the faith that I'm showing you. Are you living a life that is an example of what you are speaking of? That's what Jesus did. He talked about this little bit of faith. He says, it, I mean, what, how powerful would it be if Jesus would have looked at that man and said, if, if only you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain, have it get up and cast itself into the ocean. But as far as your, your, your demon-possessed son, I, yeah, uh, you should go over to the Reading Church and they'll pray for you. And maybe it'll take care of that, okay? No. There was no power in speaking something if he wasn't going to walk out what he was teaching. So if we're to have a kingdom mindset, how can we say that we are ambassadors, ambassadors to the kingdom of heaven here on earth to represent Christ to the world if we know nothing about the land from which we claim to come? If you don't live like a citizen of the kingdom, what are you representing to the world? You're showing them that the kingdom looks just like this one. And if it looks just like this one, then why would they have to give up everything they've got now so that they could go chase something that looks just like what they had? If your life looks everything like they've already got, then they're never going to give up what they've got to get what you have. Does that make sense? So we have to live a life that is in accordance with the words that we speak. We live in a culture where we have learned so much. It is so accessible. These young four people right here, do you know that they have at their disposal in literally within an hour, they currently today have more at their disposal, disposal information-wise, than the cumulative collection of the rest of us had in high school. I want you to think about that. I've been teaching teaching some people the, the importance of a compound effect. Now, I'm not talking about interest, but it's, it explains it. The compound effect is simply piggybacking on everything that was accomplished before. It's not starting at ground zero. It's saying, I'm going to start here. That's what we're to do. We're supposed to take what God has revealed to us and reveal it back to the world so that they can start where God has brought you. When you stand next to each other and you become together, growing in spirit as one, then we all grow from that point forward. And that's why I said, as God continues to grow me and prosper me in my spirit, you're going to either grow with me or be irritated by me. And I hope you get irritated by me enough to dig into the words so that you grow with me. I will not back down, I will not stand down, and I will not quit. God ignited that fire back underneath me that I allowed to go out. I was a coal that sat on the mantle, and now he took that coal and he dropped me back in the fire and I'm getting red hot again. I love my God. I love my, I love my family. 
I love Jesus. And I got so much love, I can't sit back and not share what God reveals. It's just that simple. And I am not the most tactful <laughs> or even eloquent in my presentation. But I love you. Because there is so much that has been taught and so much that is available, God has greater tasks than we could ever take on ourselves. He's got to peel back the layers of untruth. One by one by one. I grew up in the church. I spent my entire childhood in the church. Church camp, Sunday school, VBS, conferences, concerts. I can even probably tell you all of the, the kids of the concert people that came to our church on the big butses that I had crushes on when I was like fifth grade. I mean, everything in my life was just focused in on the church. Why I have such a disadvantage to people who are just coming to know Christ today. Because I got all of their ideologies, all of our assumptions, all of the false teaching that came with that, all of the interpretations. As I got older, I began to realize that the church that I was raised in knew a lot about the Bible, but I wasn't sure they ever met God. And I decided that I was no longer going to take the candy from the street. I was going to take it home, and I was going to tear it all apart, and I was going to find out exactly what it was made of, and if it was good, then I put it back together, pop it in, and enjoy. But I had a simple prayer. I said, Lord, I want you to unteach me everything that I've learned about you that is not true. I used to quote scripture left and right. You tell me the problem, I can point you to the scripture. Now I have the word in my heart, and I have to sit here and pull out and look up my references just to figure out where it is in the Bible because he wants me to constantly be seeking his truth, not quoting what I learned. We have to come to a point in which knowing the Word of God is not good enough. We have to be able to experience and live out the Word of God on a regular basis. If I can't experience God through what I learned through his scripture, then I am going to be well prepared to be a religious fanatic who can argue with those that don't believe. But I will never be impactful in the world. We must have a renewed mind. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's a renewed mind is a mind that experiences the truth of God's word, not quotes it and spits it out. A re renewed mind is a mind in which we actually have answers, not a regurgitation of words. When people come to us with a question, we can hear them. And Holy Spirit can respond to them because we're willing. That's a renewed mind. A renewed mind doesn't say, well, let me analyze the situation here. It sounds like you're a jerk. You should not be a jerk. Versus a renewed mind might say, I understand there's some things that are hurting inside you. I don't know what they are. But God said that He wants to give you comfort right now. This isn't about how you treat your wife right now. This is about how God wants to connect with you and love you today. Because when that happens, 
Nobody can have an encounter with God and walk away unchanged. Impossible. Are you a conduit for God to flow into the world? Because if so, then no one will have interaction with you and walk away unchanged. And a renewed mind allows that to happen because as I said earlier, it's our mind and what we think on is what allows to come out of us. The mind is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. It makes me think of Peter. You know how Peter was walking in his shadow, the shadow that he cast, and people were healed. Was it the shadow? I mean, was there power in the shadow itself? Or was it the very fact that the presence of God overshadowed him so greatly that it flowed out? And that healing power was changing the circumstance in the world. And it got me thinking, you know, isn't that true? What overshadows us flows out of us. What overshadows our mind and our hearts and our spirit, that flows out of us into the world. Ever walk into a room? I mean, I'm not even going to ask you if you have. Every single person has walked into this room and they've known, oh, that person. It's just that, ugh, that negative vibe. You feel it because what's overshadowing them is affecting the world around them because they've allowed it in such great power and such presence. You ever met somebody who walked in a room and when they walk in, the whole place just brightens up? The whole place just becomes happy. I love those people. They remind me just how unhappy I am at that moment. They're the, they're the gauge that goes, whoa, wow. If I sense that happiness that great, I probably need to think about what's going on in me right now. Because I should feel a kindred feeling there. It is our responsibility as children of God to bring the gospel into our communities. It is the apostolic prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not a flowery, feel-good prayer. This is, this is an assignment, a commission, a, a directive. I mean, do you want to know what the will of God is? How many people have ever struggled with knowing God's will? Just a couple? Okay, good. The rest of you, I suggest you go home and struggle with it. I could tell you, he told us to pray. Do you ever think that God wouldn't tell us to do something, to pray for something that he didn't want to happen? Makes sense, right? He would tell us to pray in the way that he wants things to work out. Your kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. So here's God's will. You ready? Anything that's going on up there should be happening here. And anything that's happening here that doesn't look like what's going on up there needs to stop now. Now you know. Now you just ask the Father, how would you like me to work in this situation? How would you like me to speak? How would you like me to not speak? Sometimes our not speaking is more powerful than joining the conversation. When we want the kingdom to look, or when we want our lives to look like it would look like in heaven, then we have to say, is what's going on in my life, would it look like this if I was sitting next to Jesus? Because in Ephesians, I believe Ephesians 4, he says, we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's how we can be ambassadors, folks. We can't be sent from somewhere that we haven't been. 
Have you stopped to think about the fact that you have been taken out of this place to live in the kingdom and then been sent from the kingdom to earth? We're not supposed to be living from earth towards heaven. We're supposed to be living from heaven towards earth. We're supposed to be bringing the kingdom wherever we tread, wherever we stand, wherever we walk. The kingdom should come because the king's domain, that's the area where the king rules. It's his dominion. He is in rulership over that. Jesus said in Matthew 28:18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Now this may shake a couple boots for a minute, but bear with me. Jesus did not say that as God. Jesus said that as man. Fully man. Because if he was God, who gave him that power? He said that as our elder brother. As man, he said, God the Father has given me the keys to the kingdom. I have been given the authority here and in heaven. All authority I have been given. And then he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. So if the authority has been given to Jesus Christ and He has sent us in the same way to act and to speak and to move in His authority, there's somebody here on this earth that we've been awful nervous about for no reason. How can the enemy have power or authority in the world? Go all the way back to the garden. It's called agreement. He just continues to whisper until we start speaking in agreement. And when we speak in agreement with the lie, we empower the liar. When we believe the lie, the lie becomes more powerful in our life than the truth. And vice versa. When we stand in agreement with the truth, the truth is empowered. Scripture tells us that our tongue holds the power of life and death, blessing and curse. But it shouldn't be. Speak life. Speak life and blessing. Because that's in alignment with God. How do we know? Because He's told us what it's like in heaven. So that's what we should be speaking into the world. But what do we speak? We speak about our circumstance. We speak about our, our issues. We speak about our broken ribs. We speak about the things that the world is throwing at us instead of speaking what God has said, this is how I will respond. This is what I say about your life. This is what I say about your future. The world says you're a felon. The world says I'm a felon. I listened to God tell me that I'm His child so long, I forgot I was a felon and broke another law by having something I shouldn't have as a felon because I forgot I wasn't supposed to have it. My identity was changed in me so great, I forgot what the world labeled me. Are you willing to let go of your old identity to the point where you don't even remember that it's a part of who you are? God has created you to be a new creation, something wonderful. Jesus is not interested in filling churches. He's interested in changing cultures, changing our communities. The greatest gift that we can give people is the very presence of the Lord. Is the presence of the Lord overshadowing your life so great that people feel God's presence when you walk in a room?
Do they feel loved when you simply walk up and place your hand on your shoulder? I know it does when you place your hand on my shoulder. Are you, are you feeling God's presence in such a great way that you know what everybody else in the room is feeling? Because it just emanates from you. Too much of our theology is wrapped up in this place being burned up and destroyed. Do you ever think about that? Oh, the end of the world's coming. In fact, we actually seem to like take pleasure. It's a sick world, but we take pleasure when calamities and wars and all this stuff break out and they're like, Woo, Jesus is coming. Look at all the nasty, horrible stuff. Um, Jesus be coming anyway. Why are we excited about the things that come against the world because how somehow it's supposed to be the end? Well, here's the great thing, folks. If the end isn't here yet, there's still work to be done. Focus on what's, what's at hand. Focus on what needs to be done here before the end instead of being excited that the end is coming so that I can escape. He came to empower us to live a life for Christ, not empower us to make it through so we can eventually make it out. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for you. Our assignment is to bring the reality of His kingdom to this one. And this always resorts back to the same. Why would they want what we have if what we have looks so much like what they already have? I didn't know how I was going to explain this best, but... On the way down here, I shared with Amy, over in Minnesota, up by, there's some iron mines up. It's like a mile and a half down to the base of this mine. And they put you in the mine, the, the big elevator, and they bring you down this mine, right? And as you're going down, the lights, they become farther and farther apart, and they get a little bit dimmer. I thought it's because the line was really long and there wasn't enough juice. <laughs> but no, it's intentional. Because by the time that you hit the bottom, your eyes have completely adjusted back to a relaxed state. And your pupils are hugely dilated. But then they bring you down on this elevator and then they move you into the cavern. And at this point, it is pitch black. Pitch black. They brought night vision goggles down there and they show nothing. <laughs> there is no illumination whatsoever. And then... The guide takes one single wooden match and he strikes it on a box. Every single time. Ooh, ah, this huge underground cavern. You can see everything. You can see the stalagmites and the stalactites and you can see the rock formations and the water on the walls. and You can just, it's, everything is just illuminated. It's amazing. There's like, there's no darkness anywhere. And it's just one little itty bitty match and it shows an amazing truth that even the smallest portion of light is greater than the immensity of darkness around you I tell people be the light don't hide your light under a bushel <laughs> be that shining light and I've heard oh but you don't know my city it's such a dark place there's such a heavy cloud. There's sex trafficking and drugs and, and crime rates and assaults. It's, it's a horrible, nasty, vile place. And I look at it and go, but you're not. 
Be the light. Be that one spark that illuminates the entire region. When you got up this morning or last night and you turned on the light, there was absolutely no question whatsoever when the light went on, the darkness was gone. The light did not reside with the darkness in the room. Everywhere the light hit, the darkness was dispelled. Jesus is the light of the world and he is within you. What is coming out of you? What are you allowing to shine forth? Do you know if you take a candle and you put it in a box, the candle doesn't get any, any dimmer? Do you ever think about that? The same amount of light is still there, but if you open the top, you allow that light to shine out. It doesn't increase, it doesn't decrease, but what you're willing to allow are you willing to take the walls down and allow Christ to shine in you today? And I'm going to try and... I'm going to try and model this statement in my life. It says, we need to stop having people come to us for prayer and start coming to us to receive the richness of the kingdom of heaven. We have begun to gain an addiction to prayer, not an encounter with God. Prayer is vital. Prayer is a bridge between the richness of God. So live a life in which we can bring people to an encounter with God. He has called us for a specific purpose. But we're going to have to change our mindset to agree with what God's Word has to say about who we are and about our purpose in the world today. Spend some time with the Great Commission. Spend some time looking at the Lord's Prayer and say, how does this really relate? What is He saying to me here? But do not go home unchanged today. Do not leave this church until you have had an encounter with God. If you don't know how, ask somebody who changes the atmosphere when you're next to them. Ask God to change the atmosphere in your heart. I want to thank you for spending some time with us today and listening in. Now, as always, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to go down into the show notes and check out, get on our guest list. Sometimes we offer some amazing deals. We give some information about our guests, but always we want to keep you up to date on things that are happening, the direction that we're going here with Achieve Greater and all of the opportunities that you can take advantage of. So go down into the show notes, check out the links that we have below and go ahead, get on that guest list so that you can be notified of every episode when it comes out. We'll talk to you soon. You have an amazing and blessed day. As always, there is beauty and there is greatness within you. Now go and share that greatness with the world today.